Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, and that link will be in the show notes. Everybody's brain and thyroid communication is totally different. You have to just find what range works best for you. And don't be afraid to advocate for yourself and fight for yourself to feel your best. Even if the lab says you're normal, if your body is telling you otherwise, then that's really important. Stress is the inflammation that robs us of life, energy, and happiness. Our typical solutions for gut health and hormone balance have let a lot of us down. We're over-medicated and underserved. At The Less Stressed Life, we're a community of health-savvy women exploring solutions outside of our traditional Western medicine toolbox and training to raise the bar and change our stories. Each week, our hope is that you leave our sessions inspired to learn, grow, and share these stories to raise the bar in your life and home. Access to functional or specialized medicine testing and standard blood work is a big piece of personalizing care plans to help our clients succeed. But getting accounts with multiple labs and ordering and tracking results from many different web portals slows efficiency by bogging us down in admin work. This is why I'm completely obsessed with our podcast sponsor, Rupa Health. It's a single portal that allows you to order from over 20 specialty labs in one incredibly simple dashboard. I'm talking less than 30 seconds to set up your free account and about 30 seconds to order the labs you need. All the results are in one place and I can securely send clients their results with a click of a button. A big advantage for our clients is that standard blood work can be ordered for almost two thirds less than other direct to consumer lab sites. Rupa is a lab concierge, so they send the lab invoices on your behalf if a client pays for their own labs. They help them get set up with a lab draw, navigate testing questions, and they provide the requisition forms. It's literally a dream. Go sign up for free to help streamline your practice and simplify ordering labs for your clients at rupahealth.com. That's R-U-P-A health.com. And let them know I sent you when you sign up. You can also check out the show notes for this episode for a short video walkthrough of how I use Rupa Health in my own practice. All right. Today I have my dear friend, Nicole Fennell. She's so funny. So I hope that comes out a little bit today in our conversation. Anyway, I've known Nicole for quite a while. She is the owner of Choose Food Wisely. I mean, again, here we are, like she's just comical. So Nicole Fennell is a registered and licensed dietitian nutritionist, certified in integrative and functional medicine nutrition therapy. After years of working as a clinical inpatient dietitian, her personal journey with thyroid autoimmunity led her to eventually start a private practice that challenged the status quo of what it means to be healthy since following all the diet rules is what made her sick. 
Her work with those who have autoimmune thyroid disease is a root cause approach, marrying a flexible food framework and personalized lab data to create sustainable and realistic lifelong changes. She takes a nourishment over deprivation approach and helps women mend their metabolism, banish brain fog, enhance energy, and redefine their relationship with food in their bodies. I think that's all like so beautiful and feels lovely. Welcome to the show, Nicole. (laughs) Oh, I'm so glad to be here. And I'm also glad that you think I'm funny. I think I'm funny too, but not everybody does. So thanks. Uh, it comes it comes <laughs> out in your writing and your social media posts. And like, you have these hilarious memes and uh, I just, you know, I wish we could hang out more often and make sauerkraut <laughs> together. She's always over here, like making kraut and ferments. So we are going to talk today a little bit about thyroid stuff, autoimmune versus not autoimmune and all the things. But I think first your story is really fascinating and really probably too, it's too close to home for a lot of listeners. So I'd love to start with your story because I bet there's a little more to it. And I think that's the most beautiful place to begin. Yeah. And honestly, I feel like I got really, really, really lucky on my journey because I know that so many women who have Hashimoto's it takes a really long time to get that diagnosis. And, you know, hypothyroidism is so common that I think a lot of times it gets dismissed as kind of like a secondary diagnosis. Like let's focus on all these really big things in the thyroid, like, okay, just take your thyroid medication. But I'm kind of in the the belief of the opposite that the thyroid impacts so much. And if it's not put in kind of like the central focus, that a lot of symptoms can linger if the thyroid is not optimized. And so During the time of my diagnosis, it's so funny in hindsight, realizing all the classic symptoms that I had, but it just was not identified. And it did take a couple of years, which is kind of a long time, but on average, like it can take seven to 10 years for somebody with Hashimoto's to get a confirmed diagnosis. And leading up to that, you know, when I say that I was following all the diet rules, I was doing everything that I was taught in school to do. I was watching my calories. I was following at that time, a vegan diet. I was training for a marathon. I was waking up early to run in the morning and then working out after work. So kind of this work out more and eat less mentality to achieve this physique that was supposed to be like the quote unquote ideal physique. But realistically, it was just a body style that was never going to be where my body wanted to be. And so that really stressed my body out a lot. Mm. And it was really, honestly, fate, coincidence, whatever you want to call it. I was working in the hospital at the time and I was due for a well women's exam. And so I just Googled OB-GYN and then the zip code. And this OB-GYN popped up and I'm like, okay, whatever, I'll just go. She takes my insurance. And so I went and I just started telling her like, gosh, I'm just really tired. And I know I'm stressed. Like I'm planning a wedding. I'm working in the ICU. Like I I know all of this stuff. And she's like, "Mm, I'm not sure. So she ran a full thyroid panel, vitamin D levels. And she was the first person who even ever introduced me to Hashimoto's. I had never even heard of it before. And so that's where I find that I just, I think I really got very lucky But prior to that, I remember going to the doctors for daily migraine for an entire month. I had a migraine every single day. And the intervention was giving me steroids, telling me to get my eyes checked. I had an MRI of my brain, all of these things that were completely missing the mark. I remember having like blue fingertips and really requesting, please just draw an iron panel on me or something. There has to be something wrong. I remember having heart palpitations and I worked in the ICU at the time. And so the nurse hooked me up to the telemetry machine and you can see the obvious palpitations. And so all of these messages my body was sending, but I had no idea what direction to go until I realized that it was the Hashimoto's and the hypothyroidism creating all of this. So that was kind of my quick, but also in the moments, it seemed like it was an eternity to get to that point of diagnosis. 
And then you get the diagnosis and you're like, the heck do I do? Oh my gosh, I'm a dietitian. Like I know what to eat or I thought I know what to eat, but clearly it's not working. Um, so I really had to basically do a complete 180 with my view on what healthy food looks like my view on movement, my relationship with my body. So my mind and body connection, it was a huge journey to make that switch and to change my mind about a lot of things that I had been otherwise really vocal about. I was really vocal about marathon training and a vegan diet. And, you know, it kind of took swallowing pride. So with all of that, that's when I decided to really focus on autoimmunity and thyroid health and really helping women repair their relationship with their food, and help them to optimize their thyroid and just feel empowered when it comes to food choices. It's fun doing these specialty tests and supplements, but at the end of the day, I want to help women decide what to put on their plate and how to feed their family and how to travel and not be so stressed out with what to eat while you're on the road that it totally takes away the joy from those travels. So I really believe a lot in education and empowering and really like teaching you how to be an advocate for yourself in the long run. Mm, this is a beautiful story. And I have some questions. Um, okay. The first, well, one of them will be, you know, why does it take seven to 10 years to get a diagnosis? And kind of even before that, yeah, actually let's go there first. Cause the rest of it, I think will kind of come in. So like, why does it take seven to 10 years to get a diagnosis for this? Do you think there's some, yeah, I think, yeah. So first and foremost, antibody levels on lab tests aren't always looked at because it medication management really doesn't change the course of action. You're either hypothyroid or you're not hypothyroid. And if you are, then you take thyroid replacement. It doesn't matter if you're autoimmune or non-autoimmune. That in mind, from a more you know integrative functional perspective and from a nutritional perspective, there is a big difference. There is a big difference between hypothyroidism and autoimmune hypothyroidism. So with Hashimoto's and autoimmunity, it's immune system dysfunction first and the thyroid disease second. And the cool thing about the immune system is that it's adaptive and it changes. And that can either be a really good thing or a really bad thing. And of course, you know, I'm viewing it as a really good thing with nutritional um, intervention. And so first and foremost, it would be that antibodies are just not always assessed or they're assessed one time it's identified, maybe not discussed, and then it's never retested. So you just may have had it done. You just were never aware that it was autoimmune in nature. And then the second would be through the progression of Hashimoto's or autoimmune hypothyroidism is that sometimes you can be in a state of hyperthyroidism where you have overactive thyroid function. And a lot of that is due to the release of thyroid hormone from the thyrocyte or the thyroid follicle that happens when you have destruction of the thyroid gland, which is what happens when you have autoimmune disease. And so sometimes there can be a mistake in diagnosis. And so sometimes you can have Hashimoto's, but accidentally be diagnosed as Graves. If the right antibodies aren't looked at to differentiate, you can have a completely normal thyroid stimulating hormone, maybe because the brain just hasn't caught up with a decrease in thyroid hormone that's circulating around the body. So you know, labs are part of the story and they're a moment in time. And so it's really helpful, not just to see a full thyroid panel, but sort of the trend of what's happening over time. And then also identifying your root cause into the hypothyroidism. Is it autoimmune or not autoimmune? And that should be the number one question that you ask if you ever get diagnosed with hypothyroidism or suboptimal thyroid hormone output. Mm, I have many questions. One, what if, okay, let's say someone gets there. I think we should talk about testing and we've talked about this before on the podcast, but just to give it some brief lip service, because we're in this exact episode right now about 
what is standard of care for testing? What should you be doing for actual testing? I want to start. Let's let me start there. What is the full thyroid panel exactly? What should people be requesting? And what do you do when the provider, when you clearly say, I want a full thyroid panel and they basically view a TSH reflex T4? Okay. So let's start with the first question. Like what is a full thyroid panel? There's not a clear definition, quote unquote, of what that means. But in my perspective, the bare minimum of the full thyroid panel would be obviously TSH, which is thyroid stimulating hormone. It should be your total T4 and T3, your free T4 and free T3, your antibodies, including the anti-TPO or thyroperoxidase, the anti-TG or anti-thyroglobulin, and then some bonus ones that would be awesome, not always included, but awesome would be reverse T3, TBG, sex hormone binding globulin. My gosh, I should probably have written these down because I'm going just off of a visual picture. This is what you said so far. I'll just reiterate. TSH, total T3 and T4, free T3 and T4, antibodies, including TG and TP antibodies, anti-TG, I think you said also, reverse T3, you said sex hormone binding globulin or SHBG. And there was one other one, but I didn't write it down. TBG. Okay. Which stands for? Um, Thyroxine binding globulin. So that's even, I mean, that's pretty intense, right? There's a lot of markers there. So what's normal is to get a TSH and then sometimes a T4 and sometimes we can get more, but not usually, I mean, to get that much on a panel is, I would say pretty rare, pretty rare. Yes. Yeah. I would say, as you alluded to, one of the most common ones is a TSH reflex to T4, which basically means that if your TSH is out of range, then you'll get a T4 value. But if it's not out of range, then all you're stuck with is TSH and TSH can take a while to change. So you can have alterations and suboptimal levels of circulating thyroid hormone and it not reflect immediately on the TSH lab value that's there. So I'm always an advocate to see what's going on with the active hormones and especially the different ones, the T4 and the T3 but also be very open with the symptoms because a lot of the labs are looking at what's going on outside the cell in the serum. And what happens inside your cell is what's going to dictate how you feel and function. Sometimes there can be a situation where you're having all the hypothyroid symptoms, but it may not show up on labs. And then it's because the labs are looking outside the cell and not inside the cell. Your pituitary gland also absorbs the hormones differently than the cells. So the cells require energy for hormone absorption, but the pituitary gland doesn't. So there can be a difference in messaging from the brain versus the thyroid related to how much food you're eating. So labs are super helpful and they're a huge piece of the puzzle, but your lived experience is also really, really important. So I always encourage clients to be really open with the symptoms that you're experiencing. And if you get pushback from any provider, when it comes to having labs drawn, a couple of options would be, you know, direct to consumer, having the provider document that they are not going to order the labs and why sometimes that can help kind of encourage them to order the labs if they have to document that you requested it and they denied it. I mean, there are a lot of options out there now, thankfully, um, to get the labs done yourself. Right. Direct to consumer, right? Direct Mm -hmm. labs, request a test, et cetera. So that's good for people to know. So I've got four nicely typed out questions from this. First of all, so I'm going to start, I want to talk about TSH because that's what people, so the biggest thing I run into is people say, oh, I had my thyroid tested. I'm like, mm, I really don't think you did. <laughs> I think you had a TSH drawn. So I want to talk about TSH ranges. Then I want to talk about what it qualifies as autoimmunity. And then I want to talk about provider questions because I have zero blame here. I just think there's like a, you don't know what you don't know situation. Yeah. So I want to be empowering here. So let's talk, let's start with TSH ranges and kind of the tricks, the trickiness in that. Let's talk about what's normal for TSH functionally and conventionally and kind of some other 
are things that you sort of, I mean, what do you do when someone comes to you with a TSH that's normal and then they don't feel good? You probably draw more labs, but let's just start with TSH because that's the most common thing people already have probably in front of them. Yeah, for sure. So the lab ranges are going to be a little bit different from one lab to the next. So when I give these ranges, if you don't hit the nail on the head exactly, you know, you kind of have to put it in the context of your lab range. So I would say, so the like normal lab range for typical labs is going to usually be like 0.5 to 4.5. And that would be considered normal, but there's lab normal. And then there's functional normal mm-hmm. and, and every functional medicine practitioner honestly has their own ideal lab ranges. So some suggest anywhere from 0.8 to 2.5, some suggest close to two. And honestly, there's not a perfect number. Everybody's TSH is going to be a little bit different. Some people feel awesome at two and some people feel awesome at one. So again, your experience and your symptoms are really valuable as part of the entire process. Mm-hmm. What about with you, with your functional lab ranges, when do you see people starting to look kind of crappy? Because I'll have clients say like, I know if I get kind of close to three, I'm not okay. So do you have anything you would like to say about that? Yeah. I would say speaking personally, anything above 2.5 for me is when I start feeling poorly. Again, that's just me. I would say the clientele that I serve tend to feel their best between two and 2.5. So Sometimes in the hypothyroid world, we can adopt this mentality of like, oh my gosh, the lower the TSH, the better. But that's not great either because that end of the spectrum, you may feel a little bit more flighty and you may feel a little bit more anxious and you may have some difficult time falling asleep or calming your brain down. You may have some heart palpitations or you may not. So everybody's brain and thyroid communication is totally different. You have to just find what range works best for you. And don't be afraid to advocate for yourself and fight for yourself to feel your best. Even if the lab says you're normal, if your body is telling you otherwise, then that's really important. So I want to dig into this one, just at least one more question. What if people have a three or a 4.2 and they don't feel good? What would you tell them is their next step to do? Because that's going to be a more common situation for the current listener before getting any other, like that's going to be the situation that they have this in front of them, but maybe it's not within this maybe more ideal range. Right. So if we're talking about the TSH and you're above a three and a four, and you have symptoms of hypothyroidism, you need to request a full thyroid panel at a minimum. The part that what would be included in a full thyroid panel would be your free hormones. So your free T4, your free T3, and then your antibody levels. So that's going to tell us whether or not your specific hypothyroidism or you know, suboptimal thyroid function um, is autoimmune in nature or not. Cool. Got it. All right. So the next thing you had said a while ago, so I'm coming back to it. You said the most important thing for someone to ask themselves after they have a thyroid issue already, like a, I've got a diagnosed thyroid issue. It's not in range. Is it autoimmune or not autoimmune? Let's tell the listener how they can determine that on their own. In addition to their provider telling them one of my next questions after this is like, what if your provider can't answer that? <laughs> Which happens. It totally it happens. Does. It does. Yeah. So um, you can identify antibodies. I would not suggest diagnosing yourself, but you Mm -hmm. can identify antibodies on a lab test by looking at anti-TPO and anti-TG. So that stands for anti-thyroperoxidase and anti-thyroglobulin. And so that would indicate autoimmune activity. So if those are elevated above lab range, then that would be highly suggestive of autoimmune activity being one of the primary reasons that you're experiencing hypothyroidism. Perfect. Okay. So we're identifying if we have autoimmune hypothyroidism. And one of the reasons that they may not be able to answer that is because we didn't draw antibodies in the first place. So then if you have a TSH is off, then you can say, I'd like to really draw these antibodies. 
So then what happens if your provider cannot answer that? And they do, I mean, let's just say, what are the options if your provider cannot answer that question? Yeah. So I would say if your provider is unable to answer those questions, then you may want to ask for a referral to somebody who can answer those questions. So if you're getting your labs drawn through your PCP, your general practitioner, your OB-GYN, and they say, hmm, I'm not sure what these antibodies mean, then you would need to request, please refer me to somebody who can, which is more than likely going to be an endocrinologist. If your endocrinologist doesn't know, then you need to find another endocrinologist because this is kind of thyroid 101 is being able to identify antibodies or no antibodies. And the reason that I'm not a huge advocate of DIYing this by yourself Mm -hmm. and just diagnosing yourself with Hashimoto's is that there is still so much medical benefit to somebody putting their hands on your thyroid and feeling it. Is it inflamed? Do you have nodules? Do you have a goiter? Do you need Mm -hmm. a thyroid ultrasound? Like you still need that medical care. If you're hypothyroid and if you have antibodies and it's autoimmune, do you need thyroid replacement? Do you need medication? Medication's not bad. And there's actually Mm -hmm. a lot of literature that says that repleting your thyroid hormone through medication can actually help modulate the immune system activity. So temporarily, that can be super beneficial. So getting a good provider on your care team is really, really important. It doesn't mean you failed. If you have to take meds, you didn't fail. Mm -hmm. It's just part of the process sometimes. Right. And I think the other thing that you are kind of alluding to also is that it may not be a perfectly straight and narrow road at the very beginning. It may actually be a little bit bumpy to find the right people for your care team, unfortunately. And that's just, it just is. And I think, you know, if I hope that this episode can be helpful in just saying that that's, you're not going to be alone if that's the case and you are capable of advocating for yourself also if needed, right? Yeah. I would say the take home is, is fight for yourself and don't give up on yourself and you don't have to settle for feeling poorly. Like there is a light at the end of the tunnel and sometimes the road is bumpy and challenging and you're going to hit potholes along the way. But when your body is not feeling well and you're having symptoms, that's your call to action to make a change and to get help. There are a lot of free resources like a podcast, like social media, following trusted sources. So there is a lot of free education out there to really empower you to have those conversations with your doctor. Mm-hmm. Your doctor is on your team. If they're a dictator and telling you what to do versus discussing with you, then you need to find a new provider who's going to empower you more than just you know tell you to do X, Y, and Z. And if you question, you know, then they don't accept that. But mm-hmm. yeah, it can definitely be a long road to getting there. Mm -hmm. And I think because of that, because getting a diagnosis of Hashimoto's or just any autoimmune disease can be so complex. A lot of times we think that it takes a lot of complex intervention to manage it. But what I found in over, oh my gosh, over 10 years, geez Louise, of (laughs) being a dietitian is that a lot of times it's like the fundamentals and the basics that are being missed. You know, sometimes there's an outlier and sometimes it is like this crazy thing that's going on, but I can't tell you how many times it's just like little changes and really switching the mindset of like what diet is to your body and diet should be nourishing. Our body doesn't want to have autoimmunity. That's a sign that there's underlying dysfunction. So how can we pour nutrition into your body and give your body all the necessary tools to help regulate itself? Mm -hmm. And something I just wanted to add on before we leave kind of provider discussion is that you don't know what you don't know. And so I think sometimes we, people like kind of throw daggers at their providers, but unfortunately you just have to sometimes what, you know, you know what you know, Nicole, because of your 
personal experience and your drive to research and your clinical experience now. But unfortunately, the reality is if someone hasn't had that experience or has not had that experience in practice or has not failed to find success, then sometimes they just don't know that, right? Like there are a lot of things I did not know two, three, five years ago that I know now. And sometimes I get, I'm like unhappy with myself that I didn't know that then, but you don't know what you don't know, especially if you're getting, you know, we were having a conversation off air about like, if you're getting good outcomes, then, you know, like you're getting good outcomes, which is important. Right. And so your provider might be getting good outcomes with other people by only diagnosing TSH, or they may view that they're getting good outcomes above, you know, 4.5. And then our practice, we don't see that we see different things. Right. And so it's just kind of like, there's just, there's a lot of gray area, you know, there's the black and white, and then there's the gray area. I think I have another friend who says like, I work in the gray area, you know, like you're not black and white overtly out of range, but I'm in the gray area. Yeah, for sure. uh, So I have some questions about, you mentioned goiter. How prevalent is goiter now? Goiter, I would say in my clinical experience. Now, keep in mind, like as I'm not a diagnostician, I'm not a doctor. So I'm not in the trenches of doing ultrasounds and palpating people's thyroids. I would say it's pretty rare in my experience. That doesn't mean that it's rare, but in my experience and the clients that I'm working with, I've had maybe a handful of people who truly have a goiter an iodine deficiency related goiter. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of people who just have some nodules, which is really, really common with Hashimoto's, but like a full on goiter. I've only had a handful. I don't know about you. Um, only the same, only a handful I've ever seen that. So, which is fine, but that's also, you know, I feel like I've come me, I'm coming to thyroid in practice in a roundabout way, in an accidental way, in a way where, Hey, it's not showing up on their labs. Whereas you, I feel are getting those overt thyroid people who are just kind of, they feel like they have more options. And for me, I'm actually kind of like back end educating on, Hey, I think your gut issues might actually be a thyroid thing a little bit as well. And I want to support those cofactors and all of that. And on that note, on that note, you said, you know, that labs are happening in that serum, but there's other things happening inside the cell and that can dictate what your symptoms are. So what is your recommendation to a person who has thyroid symptoms, but it's not showing up on their labs? Um, Oh my gosh, lots of options. One would be get more labs, see what else we can find. So, you know, looking at micronutrient status, and honestly, before I go and like list off a laundry list of different labs to get, like what other symptoms are going on? Like what are some kind of low hanging fruit, least common denominator similarities that we can really, really focus on? Starting with kind of a foundational approach, like, okay, you're having these symptoms. Is it energy? Is it weight? Is it not sleeping? Okay, let's start at the bottom of the pyramid. Like, tell me what you're eating. Like how much are you eating? When are you eating it? What is the consistency of your food intake during the day? What is your bedtime routine? And so like, I really like to exhaust those options first before moving on to high level stuff. One of my goals as a dietitian is to equip you with lifelong dietary changes that you have a radical understanding of that you can kind of manipulate and change with each season of life. Because me handing you a meal plan or me telling you, Hey, take this super expensive supplement will help you now, which is great. And I'm not against that option, but I also want to help you with the long-term because autoimmune disease is lifelong. You're always going to carry that. And it can go into periods of remission where it's really well-managed, but it can also go into times of flaring. And so being able to understand your body and what it's telling you and how to adjust your diet based off of seasons is going to serve you way better in the long run. Mm -hmm. So really focusing on those foundations. Next would be Again, like looking at what the big symptoms are to see if we do more lab tests, what that might be. Is it looking at a stool test? Is it looking at intra and extracellular micronutrient status? I know we were talking a second about HTMA testing and like the utility of that and how that can be super beneficial. So I think that nowadays 
being able to have access to lab testing, really specialty lab testing, and then somebody who can interpret it for you is is really, really helpful on your journey to decode what all these symptoms actually mean. One of my mantras for the podcast is really to let people know that they have options. They're never out of options is kind of my main objective. And another thing you heard there was that if you're not really getting answers from where you are now, then it's okay to seek another opinion. And you said something useful that I feel like is it needs to go with the caveat. We can talk about testing, specialty testing, but I think the caveat is interpretation and quality interpretation because I see too much on my doorstep on, I got a test. It may have even been a good test, but the implementation and interpretation was poor. And that's not, I mean, you can't, I'm not faulting someone. I just feel bad for the client, right? Because they think they're doing the perfect thing at that point, but sometimes we still have. And I always just say like, we can learn from every failure because that's all we can really do from it. Where you learn from failures to create new successes in the future. All right. So I'd like to ask you about swings in TSH, anything like what are the things that come up to you and how often should people have their thyroid checked and rechecked? Would you say if the things are not quite landing super well. And I mean, I know you're not the clinician for that, but for some reason, I feel like I just have a lot of questions for you today. <laughs> first, first. Well, I hope I have a lot of answers. Um, you're doing great. Yeah, I would say for the retesting, it's really going to depend on like where you are in your diagnosis. So if you're still in the stage of pinning down a diagnosis, you may need labs more often than not. If you're in a stage of trying to fine tune your medication, what I've seen a lot of clinicians do is wait six to eight weeks with any sort of medication change and then reassess. If you are moving and grooving and you're feeling pretty status quo in a good way, so you've made changes and you're feeling pretty good, you could probably get away with retesting your thyroid every six to 12 months. So I don't know that there's like a hard, fast rule of thumb. It's really going to depend on like how acute your symptoms are if you're having changes in your medication, and that's going to dictate how frequently you're getting your labs done. But I would say at a baseline, if you have Hashimoto's or you suspect that you just have suboptimal thyroid function at least once a year, like maybe at your well women's exam would be a really great time to request a full thyroid panel if you're just kind of in the monitoring, you know, staying consistent stages. Mm-hmm. And I think it's good to look up common thyroid symptoms as well. We've talked about this in different places, but not very clear. I think it's just okay to look that up and be aware of what that looks like to help inform requesting testing as well a little bit. Again, not self-diagnosis, but you kind of have to be an advocate for yourself sometimes, right? It's been my experience more recently. Again, you know, I think we attract slightly different profiles of people, but it's been my experience more recently that sometimes you feel really crappy when your labs are out of range. You know, you're just not feeling the best at all. And so sometimes I see people feeling better than terrible, right? And their labs aren't quite right. And so then there's still a lot of options and improvement that can be made. You know, one of our colleagues had coined this term, the walking wounded that I just love. And I've kind of adopted that Mm -hmm. um, to my own vernacular is that, you know, people, especially like with autoimmunity and hypothyroidism, you know, we're walking, talking, going to work, doing the things like relatively functioning as a normal member of society but we know we don't feel well. And because of that, like we're not at the point of needing hospitalization or major medical intervention. We're not on our death. Like none of that is happening. And so I think a lot of times we fly under the radar and just kind of accept feeling poorly. And so this is a super underserved population that needs just special attention, which is like, it's so humbling to be able to provide that because I get it. I can empathize with being in that situation of like, I don't feel good. Like, tell me, just give me a diagnosis, please. Like, I know something is wrong. And so it can take some digging because it's the disease process is often not to the point of like being super glaringly obvious on labs. 
but your symptoms are telling another story. And so it can take a little bit of time, but digging is very important. I hadn't heard that term walking wounded. I think it's really appropriate. And I think you say something that's interesting about this being an underserved population. You're correct. But yet this is one of the most commonly recommended medications, which just tells me that the gravity of this is pretty immense. I mean, like one out of every two people should have like may have, I mean, I just made that up. I just literally made that up. (laughs) I'm just saying like, it's a lot. Like I feel it's probably also like who are around, but I just feel like it's such a problem such a problem. If we're also like being really honest, if I may state this, you talked earlier about like, it'd be really nice to have reverse T3. Well, if you have reverse T3 elevated, it's usually because you can correct me, but because cortisol is driving it down this, like it's not checking into the cell because mm-hmm. of cortisol and stress. And so I just like have this statement that I'm still working around. I'm just rolling around in my brain in 2022, that if there's stress apparent, like your thyroid may not work as well as it could potentially, but I mean, yeah, needs- I mean, And it makes sense. I mean, from an evolutionary standpoint, our thyroid is kind of like the regulator and the thermostat of the body. And so under duress and under stress, your body goes into efficiency mode and preservation mode. So it only makes sense that your thyroid production would downregulate. And what I tell clients all the time, and I think I said this at the beginning, is that hypothyroidism is it's common, but it's not normal. But I think that because it's so common, we kind of get numb to how common it is and how many people have it. And we're like, oh yeah, they have all this other stuff and just, yeah, oh, they also have hypothyroidism. But I kind of view it the opposite that like, if you have gut issues, you probably have a thyroid issue that's creating the gut issue. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes opposite happens, but I think like really bringing the thyroid to the center stage and the spotlight and really focusing on optimizing that as best as possible can really solve a lot of other symptoms. Yeah. And I mean, I mentioned this earlier, but this is how I came about this in a backwards way. And even in my own health, and I'm sure I'll be doing a mini episode on kind of like what I learned from clients from this, the labs were normal, but they were not okay. There was some, some underlying thyroid issues. So thanks for addressing that a little bit as well. I know we're almost out of time for today. And since we're talking about our focus is a little bit more on autoimmune, but in general, we talked about a bit about labs and I think hopefully gave some empowerment on you have options and there's testing you can do, and you can, you might have to like kiss a few frogs to find your (laughs) prints um, uh, on your team. But one question that I feel like comes up all the time with autoimmune issues and autoimmune thyroiditis would be, the topic about gluten-free and molecular mimicry, what is your opinion? Do people, people ask me this all the time. Do people automatically have to be gluten-free with autoimmune thyroiditis? What is your thought? Yeah. It's so funny. I was actually creating an Instagram post on this today of like, gosh, people are so confused about diet. I feel so bad, but I've been there. I remember getting Mm -hmm. diagnosed with Hashimoto's and my doctor telling me you should probably go gluten-free. And I walked into whole foods and I'm like, what do I eat? I have no idea. I'm going from vegan to gluten-free. How do I be a gluten-free vegan? Which obviously is really challenging. But anyway, but I was creating a post today. And in the process of creating this post, I just Googled foods to avoid with Hashimoto's. And I just used whatever popped up on the first page of Google. And I listed 80 foods that are listed there to avoid with Hashimoto's. And then you click on each article and one article will say, eat broccoli. And the other article says, oh my gosh, don't eat broccoli. And then another article says, you need to add turmeric to your food. And then another article says, don't eat turmeric. It's going to ruin your thyroid. So there's a lot of conflicting data, but I will say that when it comes to the research on gluten-free diets, there's not a 100% general consensus, but there's a pretty strong argument. So there is that phenomenon of molecular mimicry where the 
kind of like the peptides or the molecular structure of the gluten peptide or the gluten protein can look very similar to thyroid hormone and thyroid tissue. And so because of that, with immune system dysregulation, and which is basically like immune system confusion, there can be a simultaneous attack on the gland as well as the gluten protein. So it's not a unanimous, universally adopted recommendation, but it is a very common one that some studies have shown to be effective at bringing down the thyroid antibodies, at regulating TSH, and improving free circulating thyroid hormone. And there's also this, the genetic similarities or genetic mutation similarities, I guess you can call them, between people who are genetically predisposed to Hashimoto's also being genetically predisposed to celiac disease. Mm. And so once you're diagnosed with one autoimmune disease, the likelihood of others appearing is much higher. And so I really do encourage clients, if they do want to toy around with a gluten-free diet, as one, test out whether or not you have celiac disease. And that can be done through your doctor, through blood testing. And the gold standard, fortunately slash unfortunately, would be to get a biopsy done. But um, you can have a, a comprehensive blood panel done to see if you have the genetic predisposition and maybe if you have antibodies present um, in a blood test. Um, and then regardless of, or not regardless, depending on what that says, you know, deciding whether or not trying out a gluten-free diet and whether that would be best for you would be something that you could consider. Yeah, that was helpful. Thank you so much. I would love to keep talking about this for a long time. So what I would like is for, if you found this helpful, I'd love for you to send in questions to us so we can just have Nicole back and we can talk about this longer because I do think we need to, it is an underserved area and it seems like it only gets served if your labs are for sure out of range. And then from there, there's just so much more to do potentially to optimize. And it is huge for helping you feel better in basically every single area and for not having a lot of other things. I mean, when you're the master regulator hormone, you pretty much affect everything, right? So yeah. I mean, it's pretty much the only hormone that's used in every cell in the body. So it's a pretty big deal if it's not working very well. Right. Yes. So, yeah. If you could leave people with one last like tidbit, what would it be? I would say piggybacking on your statement of you have options and don't give up on yourself. If you're feeling poorly, it's for a reason. And if you get a set of labs that your doctor or your provider says, nope, you're the picture of health, but you don't feel like the picture of health, then you need to keep digging. I also would really, really encourage focusing more on nourishing your body as opposed to depriving your body. So at the end of the day, we are designed to adapt and survive. And our body is always going to adjust based off the message that it's getting from how we treat it and how we speak to it. So working it out too hard and not sleeping well and undernourishing your body and not eating enough, those are big stressors on the body on top of the stress that we're all faced with, especially nowadays. So doing less sometimes and pouring more nutritious food into your body can be really, really beneficial, like at a baseline before you jump into doing any sort of labs, check that box and do as much as you can with that. Perfect. Nicole, where can people find you online or do you want to tell them about thyroid school? Sure. So I am active on social media, mostly Instagram, um, choose food wisely, C-H-E-W-S food wisely. And then my website is choosefoodwisely.com. And because I believe so much in education, I send out free newsletters that are specific to thyroid health. And you can sign up for that on my website. So choosefoodwisely.com. And then there's a newsletter sign up. So I believe everybody deserves access to trustworthy resources to help empower them to start the conversation with their providers. I cannot tell you how many people that I've worked with that get a diagnosis of Hashimoto's or hypothyroidism just in our work together. They don't even reach out for hypothyroidism. Their main complaint being fatigue, poor energy during the day, not sleeping. And so 
you know, they think that it might be a vitamin deficiency, but then, which a lot of times it is, but then we dig deeper and we identify Hashimoto's or we identify hypothyroidism. So yeah. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on today. Again, I could have just kept talking for a long, long, long time. So I appreciate you so much. I enjoy you so much and definitely go check out Nicole's work and follow her on Instagram to get a good laugh. (laughs) Thank you. Sharing and reviewing this podcast is the best way to help us succeed with our mission to help integrate the best of East and West and empower you to raise the bar on your health story. Just go to reviewthispodcast.com forward slash less stressed life. That's reviewthispodcast.com forward slash less stressed life. And you'll be taken directly to a page where you can insert your review and hit post.